Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. We're starting with question three this week. How is maturity different from Bible knowledge alone? We've talked about this on and off through the first two chapters, but a little review is good. Does anybody else need a study guide? Okay. Real knowledge is going to manifest itself in a lifestyle, isn't it? Maturity as a Christian. Your lifestyle is going to be different. And he carries on talking about behaving like mere men or mere women, not, not as someone redeemed. Do you ever think about that when, when you are just day-to-day in your life, social situations, uh, maybe in conversations with unbelievers, do you catch yourself sometimes kind of behaving like them? It's kind of embarrassing isn't it, when you catch yourself. I do it. I find myself doing that frequently. You know, just in my business, I have so many people coming in and out and I have to constantly remind myself you know when there starts being coarse humor or just other things just the nature of things being talked about and how they're being said do do I do I rise above that it's not that I'm not that I mean that we're haughty and that kind of holier than thou thing that sometimes Christians are accused of but there is a standard of living that we are to we are called to live to, isn't there? That shows uh, uh, maturity on our part, and none of us are perfect at it. And that is one thing where we are to, I'm going to use the word judge, judge one another, to assess one another, and to help one another. You know, if, if Nate catches me doing something that I shouldn't be doing, he doesn't love me enough. If he doesn't come to me and say, Bob, I don't think you handled that very well. I, I think you should have done that. Or you said something that I don't think a Christian should have said. That would be an exhibition of love on his part, not judgmentalism. And he knows that he should do that gently, knowing he <clears throat> could fall prey to the very same thing that he would be bringing to my attention. But we build one another up like that, don't we? Yeah, the Bible's pretty clear about that. Let's move on. How does Paul, question four, how does Paul deflect the worship of himself and Apollos? And how does he describe their roles? Right. You know, we're just guys. 
servants who were who you were leading, but they didn't believe in Apollos or Paul. The belief was in God. Yeah. And obviously he was attacking a factionalism that was apparent in that church. They were bickering with one another over who was the holiest. Reminds me of that passage in John 3 when Jesus talks about the sowers and the reapers and he says to the, to the apostles, he said, you will reap the work that someone else has done. The sower is not jealous over that. The sower is glad and will receive in Christ's word their wages just as the reaper does, their, their blessing. You know, particularly, <clears throat> well, not particularly, but missionaries oftentimes are very clear uh, examples of years of hard work and not seeing much. But, you know, we're going to pray for uh, Jaudi and, and uh, Shushmita Chakravarti today. They're the missionaries we're praying for this. I know he gets very discouraged at times. You know, he's in India, very hostile. Uh, country to Christianity, uh, and I, I know Dan. Dan stays in very close uh, fellowship with him. That at times he gets very discouraged by what's going on over there. It has to be, uh, you know, prayed for that the Lord will build him up. He is working, working, working. Don't see any anything happening, but you don't know. You know, Nate's been a, a missionary. I mean, even in believe it or not, that guy has as a heart for North Korea. Most humbling thing I think I've ever been in was that day when we went around the table and you said that if there's one place you could be, it would be back in North Korea. It was tough to even get in. <coughs> yeah, you could certainly minister there for a lot of years without ever seeing anything happen, if at all possible, to get there. So. On what basis does God decide how he will reward people? Uh, we're looking particularly at verses 8 and 9. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. talk about sowing so much in parenting and it's easy to believe if I do the right thing I will see the growth I will see the growth because I have done the right thing yeah. and that's not true yeah. and I've watched my own kids it's like so very clearly God has given the growth in spite of our parenting <laughs> you know <coughs> not because of it and, and that's I mean there's a lot of rest in that yeah Not to say that what you did wasn't good, but sometimes kids go off the rails, mm -hmm. and you just trust that the Lord will straighten all that out. Mm -hmm. You've done what you can do. So Jody does what he can do in proclaiming the gospel in India, and trust that the Lord will 
will give the increase. There's all sorts of incredible stories about that that come back out of the mission field years later after people have left the mission field and then find out what happened as a result of their, their labors there. But whether they ever see success or not, what is it that God's really looking for in all this? You can summarize it in a word. Faithfulness. Bingo. Faithfulness. Whatever it is. Whatever, whatever it is. You're raising children. Been faithful in trying to raise them. In the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, whether it's work in the church. Your job you're at. Being, being faithful in all that. Henry Ford uh, was asked one time. What one quality do you most want in people that work for you? Loyalty. And that's where does our loyalty lie? It's in faithfulness to God. Once again, it's a good thing to kind of assess ourselves in those kind of things, isn't it? Day to day, we catch ourselves stumbling. And then we go through seasons where we're, you know, we'll find something where there was a challenge and we, we were very successful, praise be to God for that. But the Holy Spirit guides and directs us and kind of puts up some, like a little kid's bowling where you put the bumpers up, the ball can't get out of the lane, you know, it keeps the ball going in the right direction. And kind of a corny example, but the Holy Spirit does that for us. What does Paul say will happen to those who build on the quote-unquote foundation of the church with anything other than Christ? Well, the first part's easy. Uh, these are constructive workmen who have the right motives, truth in Christ, and their conduct's right, and they're going to receive a reward. <clears throat> but what else? I think these verses can be kind of startling to me as somebody who has believed in Christ since they were little. Um, but, you know, you think about grace all the time. It's just like, okay, I have grace, I have salvation, but then these remind me that what I'm doing matters with my day-to-day. -day. And it just makes you reflect on, is my life truly showing fruits of the foundation that I think I'm setting it upon or that I started years ago? You know, is it really being fruitful and will I get to heaven and will these works that I think I'm building up will they uh, sustain the fire it's scary but it's also hopeful to know that these people work through the same thing you, know, you used the word scary the Bible recognizes that it says work out your salvation with what fear and trembling that it is right to have uh, 
some people depreciate the word fear into a healthy respect, and we certainly are to have a healthy respect for the Lord. But I think when we finally are able to see God in his holiness, and even in our glorified state after we're gone, there's a certain awe and fear. R.C. Sproul's big about that. He said, you know, when Isaiah had his vision of, of God, and he said, you know, the, even the columns had the good sense to tremble in front of God, inanimate objects. He said, what does that say about us? Yeah, I think that's a, a very wise thing to uh, ponder. I think it's also, and this is just an opinion of mine, I think it is a good thing to want to build up a big pile of stuff that will stand on the day of judgment, that will withstand that fire. I think it's a good thing to want a big reward. It's a good thing to want to live a life that glorifies God. Not me, but I want my life to account for something. I don't want it to be just about how much money I make or where I live or how many golf lessons I give or how many students that I've helped that have went on to be tournament champions and that sort of thing. That's, you know, just my daily work. But how faithful am I being, how faithful am I to the Lord in the midst of all of it? And, you know, I go through seasons in my life where I look back and assess and think I've been pretty, doing pretty well here for a while. And then you look back and you think, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I'm just caught up in the day-to-day. And it's really easy to do that, isn't it? Just caught up in the day-to-day grind of making a living and doing whatever you got to do, raising kids. God knows that. But we want to be found faithful, don't we? Um, these verses also talk about worthless workmen. They may be impressive, uh, but will lose their reward, not necessarily their salvation. These are people that, you know, he's talking to some pretty immature people here, scolding them for being immature. They may be saved, but their lives aren't really amounting to much. It's going to burn up. You know, they, they're kind of getting in with the skin of their teeth. And the Bible knows those kind of people. And then there are destructive workers. Those are unbelievers. God won't destroy people that he's redeemed, but uh, those that, uh, that are not, you know, typically they even attempt to undermine the word of God uh, to, um, and the people who are faithful. And they could be actually within the church and without... They are destined for, I used the word destruction, that's not a really good word. They're destined for hell. You know, there are those who believe that uh, they're called annihilationists. That, you know, when you die, you just cease to exist. You know, the Bible doesn't know that. Uh, The Bible knows that what it teaches is that you're either going to heaven or hell in eternity, not just cease to exist. Uh, harsh truth about the scripture in it. Okay, let's move on. Question seven. What blunt language does Paul use in exhorting the Corinthians to renounce worldly wisdom? 
verses 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So Paul uses pretty harsh words here. The word fool or foolish. It's ironic because in order to be truly wise, the person who's wise in the worldly terms, you know, thinks they're scholastic or, or whatever, is like, if you want to be wise, like, I need you to become a fool first so that you can actually become really wise. You have to tear down, humble yourself back to like everything you built up is is garbage, um, and I need you to be foolish and trust <coughs> God in what this silly book tells us about the holy God, and then you can be truly, truly wise, but I need you to be a fool first before you believe this. What, uh, <clears throat> what are some of the ways that the, the world, worldly thinking, recognizes as wisdom? That's a good one. Others. I guess it's how many letters you have after your name, how many certifications or degrees you have. They say that's that's wisdom. That all yeah. that shows is you might have went to college. <laughs> Nothing wrong with having a bunch of letters after your name. No. Unless it makes you fucked up. Which it which it will without God. Others. People I work with, their barometer is their checkbook. Yeah. In banking, it's always the checkbook. I have more toys. I have more things. I get to take a month in Fiji. Whatever it is, that's their. You've been to Fiji? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. Uh, one thing that folks at the bank know is when I evaluate someone's tax return, the first place I turn is to their charitable giving. That's the first thing I look at because it will tell me more about their character than anything else. I was talking with somebody the other day. I, I didn't bring it up. Somebody else did. I don't, rem I don't remember who it was. It was just in the last two or three days about obituaries. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I mean, some of them are so lengthy. Just every single. Oh, I know who it was. It was uh, Will Deems. Mm -hmm. You know Will. He said, "You know, the only thing I want in my obituary is sinner saved by grace, date of birth, date of death, and my name." Thought that was a pretty. And I, he really meant that. He told his wife, "That's what I want. You know, not every committee I've ever served on, and all this, that, and the other. You know, we." 
once again, there's nothing wrong with serving on a bunch of committees. There's nothing, as a matter of fact, it's a good thing to be heavily involved in your community. But how you do that, are you being faithful to God in the midst of all that? Yeah. I think about the self-esteem movement, how damning that has been to kids just over the years. I've been in the school corporation just uh, teaching kids that they need to, I mean, to love others, you first must love yourself. That whole self-love, yeah. I go to that song, the greatest love of all is happening to me, where it says, I've learned to love myself. So, I mean, that that has been, so you think, it's just so many kids today just can't think outside of themselves. Uh, think about others first. It's, it's, it's all about themselves. So it's, been, it's just, just caused such chaos in, in the lives of the kids, I think. Just that, that philosophy of loving yourself and building yourself up and uh, I don't know, that's self-love. So it's yeah. good. <laughs> How do you respond to that? It's hard in schools because you want to share the gospel. You know, and, and it was just our conversations, you know, I can always share the hope that I have, but I, I'm, you have to be careful with the language you use, too. You can't, you know, behind closed doors, um, share the gospel with a student. It's insane. That's what they need. Their greatest need is the gospel is Christ, you know, before anything else. And so that's that's been the hardest thing, I think, in the public schools is not being able to do that. The best thing I can do is just model Christ. And if people ask, I can share the hope then salvation and, and it's just hard it's been a hard hard thing um, but to be sort of that visible representation of an invisible Christ the best, the best I can and um, to just demonstrate Christ like behavior so that even if it's co-workers that say hey is there something different in me well I hope so if they see something different so then I can have that conversation and I have done that more so with adults and co-workers more so <coughs> with the kids but I've, I've also had conversations with kids I just have to be there's opportunities too at, like at, at Harrison where I'm at where you know there's the fellowship for Christian anyone so there's those kind of things that you can go to and then have more of those you know pointed conversations with students and direct conversations and, and so I have done some of that so not as much as I need to it's just very tempting in our daily conversations with other people to let uh, let them know how significant we are you know, pride drives our conversation so frequently. Uh, yeah, I fall into that one with some level of regularity. I think along with the self-love is uh, the world's <coughs> wisdom of doing what brings you joy or happiness. Like, just find something that makes you happy. And, like, I had to have that hard conversation with a family member yesterday that a counselor had told them in this hard situation that they're in, just find something that gives you joy. Like, don't fix the situation. Just find things that give you joy, whether that's camping or shopping or whatever. It's, like, it's a really hard route to go down, especially when you trust the person that's telling you that. Yeah. Just some notes I had here on the this fool, foolish thing. He said these words were certainly intended as a harsh contrast to the Corinthians regarding their high view of knowledge and human wisdom, which had actually divided the church. Uh, 
versus godly wisdom, which always unifies and always builds up. It doesn't tear down. Uh, the rebuke demonstrates uh, the pettiness and absurdity of their quarreling. Human wisdom cannot save, nor build, nor sustain a church. It is far better to reject human wisdom and accept the foolishness of the cross. Now, the church does have to have wisdom in financial affairs. It can be reckless in how it spends God's money and, and doing goofy things. Uh, so that, I mean, there, there's certainly a crossover between, there's some healthy worldly wisdom. I mean, bankers do try to give people good counsel on how to handle their money, and financial advisors do. So, you know, there's, the, the lines cross. The lines cross, which makes it confusing for us. You know, we're in, we've got one foot in the world and one in the kingdom, and, you know, which one's more firmly planted? You know, that's part of the issue, isn't it? Yeah. But Marianne hit, the, the, hit it on the head here. Faithfulness in everything we do, faithfulness to the Lord in everything we do, say, and think is our objective. And... You know, that whole path, I know in Wayne Grudem's book on uh, uh, systematic theology that uh, some of us studied a couple of years ago, it shows that this line uh, graph of sanctification, you know, here's sanctification, here's time, and, you know, it's a staggered line, but it is always moving upward for those who are mature in the Lord. You know, you, you do well, then something slips, and then you rebound. But it is, as we age in the Lord, we, be, we be, are becoming more mature. And that's what Paul's scolding these people about. You're not becoming more mature. If anything, you're doing worse. You know, God help us if that happens to us. We don't want that to be what our lives look like. Question eight. Why were the Corinthians and us not to boast in any human being One of the five solas of the Reformation. I think it's on that, that banner's up down there, isn't it? I know. We're thankful now. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Not to me. Not to anything I've done. It's all to the glory of God. I know that you all have experienced this. When you, when you do things with that purity of heart and loyalty to the Lord, there is a blessing that comes out of that that just makes you feel good. It's okay to feel good sometimes. You know, we have to run around flagellating ourselves and some kid beating himself on the back with a whip. Uh, there is a emotional positive thing that comes from being faithful to the Lord that strengthens you. And it's okay to compliment one another appropriately in that. Build one another up in love and good works. 
but no man should receive credit for what only God can do. Look what a good job I did at teaching this class. Look what a good job we do here. We gotta be careful even in our view of ourselves as a church. You know, we wanna work at remaining humble but faithful. And it should never even enter our minds to do things like, to be like that. That's what Paul says, you're behaving like mere men. I use that, I just think of that a lot. Am I behaving like a mere man here? Or am I behaving like a redeemed man? And sometimes I don't know. I don't know myself well enough. I have a good wife that reminds me sometimes. I have, I have men that I have, no, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I have men that I'm in a small group that I've been in with for 20 years. You know, we confess regularly to one another and help one another in that way. You know, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. You know, being kind of honest about yourself. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church makes a, a, a ritual of that, but at least they do something. You know, we Protestants tend not to do it at all. I'm not saying what the Catholic Church says is right in that. Matter of fact, it isn't right. Uh, but we confess to God, but we are supposed to be accountable. That word just almost doesn't mean anything anymore, does it? It gets tossed around so much. But for the Christian, it, it shouldn't be that way. We, we want to be vulnerable with one another and uh, in that way build one another up. You know, so it's a good thing. It's frightening, scary. I love something that really <clears throat> stood out to me was in verse 1 it said, as people who live by the Spirit, and in 13 it says, no, 6, I don't have my glasses, <laughs> 16, um, God's Spirit dwells in your midst. And I think sometimes we put our, the spirit aside, we forget that we have that seal and that, you know, we live worldly because we forget that the spirit is living in us and speaking to us. And, you know, like, what a gift. I mean, how many times, you know, even I've been at the gas station and somebody's standing next to me and the spirit says to me, you know, say something to them. Or, you know, and, and then I don't. I don't listen to that spirit, but... I've always thought as a believer what a true gift that is to have the Spirit living in me. And that is what makes me different from unbelievers. So when I am getting caught up in living out in that worldly way, I should be constantly listening to that Spirit and acting on it. Yeah, were, were it not for the Spirit, we just wouldn't have the ability to manifest any of these uh, Christian qualities. <clears throat> kind of gets taken, if, there, if there's a member of the Godhead who kind of gets taken for granted, yeah. it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But he wrote the book. Mm -hmm. You know, he has given all of us spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, he has sealed us. We are secure in our salvation. He convicts us. And what the Spirit does 
he does to the glory of Jesus. That's his primary role in the Godhead is to glorify Jesus Christ. What practical things can you do to build your life upon that which will last? It was one of the Wesleys, I never can remember which one, either John or Charles, that had a huge income, mostly from the hymns he'd written. Somebody may know that, which one it was. But he said, as soon as I get it, I give it away, lest it find a place in my heart. He kept himself on the edge financially all the time, on purpose, when he could have been wealthy. Yeah, that's a good, and you know, we misquote that that money is the root of all evil. No, there's all sorts of other things. It is the root of all kinds of evil. A a lot of different things come bad out of the love of money. I came across this quote the other day from J.C. Ryle. I love J.C. Ryle. It says, let us watch and pray against the love of money. It is a subtle disease and often far nearer to us than we suppose. A poor man is just as liable to it as a rich man. It is possible to love money without having it, and it is possible to have it without loving it. Let us be content with such as we have, <coughs> Hebrews 13:5. We never know what we might do if we became suddenly rich. It is a striking fact that there is only one prayer in all the book of Proverbs, And the one of the three petitions in that prayer is the wise request, give me neither poverty nor riches, Proverbs 38. Yeah. Yeah, I have a couple friends that take four mission trips a year to Honduras. And, I mean, they are out in the middle of nowhere with people that have nothing. And yet those people, would somebody's got a better blue tarp over their roof than mine. I mean, you know, they... 
have those same covetous kind of issues there, even though they're poverty-stricken. Other practical things that we can do? Well, I think you mentioned it earlier, Bob. Just We live in such a world of thinking about self. I, 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 I. And I think, you know, we're all guilty of it. And just a practical way is when we see ourselves turning to that to say, okay, who can I go help today? Who can I be thinking about today other than myself? Uh, it's something that I preach that I'm, I would be better at following, but it's, but it's showing a, um, a higher level of interest in the other person than you do in yourself when you're having a conversation. Uh, <laughs> we've got a guy that works in our, our business and, and the other guys that work there with him, they, his nickname is Well I. <laughs> <laughs> because no matter what comes up, as soon as you know somebody would stop, I say, "Well, I," and you know, and, ha and I'm terrible at that at times. Uh, I have a better story than the one you just told me, and you know, I try to live by the rule of ask more questions than you make statements. You know, be interested in what the other person is saying. Yet my mind wanders off, and I start thinking about myself. And don't hear what Mariah was telling me about her job yesterday. So <laughs> we all do. Come on, come on! Don't be so interested in yourself in this. Mm -hmm. Ask questions. Yeah, you find out other people are more interesting than you pretty quickly. <laughs> well, that's certainly the most practical thing is just to know the word, isn't it? Read, the, read the Bible. Stay in the Bible. Stay in the Bible. And I just think in sharing the gospel, we've got to I mean that. Mm. We think about the most practical thing we can do that's going to last for eternity, those conversations we have with just sharing the hope that we have, always being prepared to, to give anyone the reason to hope that you have, to do it with a clear conscience. Yeah. And, you know, and <clears throat> beginning to really examine all of it. I mean, I'm 51 years old, and I think, okay, why is it that I'm not having more and more of these conversations in my life, I mean, identify the reason. I mean, even young people doing that, evangelizing and sharing the gospel, and being always having that in the, the forefront of our mind as we're having conversations with anyone and everyone. Because if there's one thing we can't do when we get to heaven, it's that we're not going to have the opportunity too late. Uh, there'll be a lot of things that we can enjoy in heaven that we enjoy here, but evangelism and sharing the gospel is not one of what it is. So we need to be doing it now. And and if we're struggling to do that, we need to really, as believers, I mean, think. I mean, just the thought of just people that we know and love, and maybe just even a stranger, just the thought of them being eternally separated. But, I mean, that is just a thought I can't even wrap my head around. But if, if gosh, we need to be sharing the gospel. <laughs> and, and we need to figure out if we're not doing it, if we're uncomfortable doing it, if there's reasons why that we need to, we need to be asking God to really help us in that area. Because what an opportunity we have every day to share the hope that we have so that people, I mean, not that ultimately we make, I mean, it's God who, draws that heart, but we're still called to do that, and we need to be doing it. Um, Interesting you bring that up, Ethan. Last night after we got we got home and uh, got the, the dust washed off of us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I didn't mean to criticism, okay? We love your place, by the way. Uh, uh, Marianne, was, she commented, she said, did you notice how Ethan was just all over the place talking to people this afternoon? I said, no. She said, well, he was. And fighting the health issues you're fighting that you, 
you were you were demonstrating that these very things there last night and you weren't even aware of it which is good that you weren't <laughs> but Marianne was yeah it embarrassed me a little bit because I'm so introverted I I'll grab a hold of somebody or actually somebody like Mariah grabbed a hold of me and said hey I'll, you know I don't really know you let's talk here for a while <laughs> thank goodness I don't have to you know <laughs> I don't have to make an effort it's hard for me uh, being kind of introverted um, encourage one another on to love and good works practical thing we can do help each other encourage one another Oops, you know so you're calling out boy I wish I did this well Mary says, hey you know do you see him do that it should be encouraging to you. Yeah. Somebody saw that. Yeah. Now, you certainly weren't doing it to be seen. Didn't even realize you were. <laughs>